What's up, friends? Welcome to the 66th episode of the Avocado Gamescast, hashtag Devilhorns. We're a little over midway through the year now. I know, hard to believe, since a lot of us have been sitting at home, watching the calendar grow increasingly meaningless as we attend Zoom meetings in our gym shorts. But believe it or not, it's July, and in spite of the global pandemic, a lot of video games came out in the first half of 2020. Kudos to devs for adapting to the new normal. So today we're going to play catch up. We're going to talk about the games you might have missed in the first half of the year, as well as games that we caught up on while we were, or continue to be, in lockdown. Anyway, I'm Mervin. Joining me today, he's all Sonic all day long, baby. It's Ben. Morning, morning. If you're in a jam, flip him around and add 40. It's DW. Hello. He's going full Twilight Princess and Howling at the Moon. It's Wolfman Jew. Always happy to be here. And finally, he thinks Amazon sent him the wrong crucible. It's the Kappa. Hey, what's up? How's everybody going? Yeah, I'm. I'm doing. I'm doing okay. Thanks for asking. I'm still sitting in my apartment, doing nothing, in my gym shorts. Actually, sorry, were you actually playing Crucible, Kappa? No, no, God, no. <laughs> I, I I took about two seconds of looking at that and decided it was not for me. It's just a mishmash of about five different things I'm kind of interested in, but not enough to actually play it. Yeah, also, Crucible got unreleased. Yeah, oh it did. That's what, like, yeah. the... I think that's the second time that's ever happened. The only time I can think of that happening before is Final Fantasy fourteen. Like... Yeah. They tried to create some kind of artificial buzz on Twitch, and it was very artificial because you could tell that most of the streamers were hated playing it. And they were trying to come up with, like, positive things to say. And it was like, well, it's optimized pretty well. You know, just, like, very vague things. And the, the, the matches went on for hours and were extremely boring to watch. So I have a feeling the whole thing's going back to the drawing board. Yeah, watch it reemerge as the Battle Royale, like, six months from now. <laughs> um, anyway, what have you folks been playing lately? Uh, well, I've been playing um, Curse of the Moon 2, the Bloodstain mini side game sequel thing that suddenly got announced, which is fucking weird in me out, eh? Um, anyone play the original Curse of the Moon? I did. Yeah, I played it. Like, I ended up liking that way more than the actual Bloodstain game, which I actually didn't think was that good. And so, yeah, I was wrapped that this came out, and it's really fucking good. Like, so, the moral of the story is make more, like, NES classics again. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Ben, uh, yep. like, just as, uh, what is it, uh, Blood, the main Bloodstained, whose uh, Ritual of the Night was very much like Symphony of the Night, and as much as the first Curse of the Moon was kind of very obviously like a takeoff of uh, Castlevania 3, is this like responding to or referencing a specific Castlevania in any particular way? Or This is more of Curse of the Moon. It's okay. like the same fucking game. You, okay. Basically, um, it's got... How I would put it is, Curse of the Moon was a really cool game, but it felt obviously limited by the fact that it was a Kickstarter bonus, like, because yeah. it was like one of the stretch goals or something. Mm -hmm. This is if they made Curse of the Moon as a full game, basically. So it's like, expands on a lot of the concepts of Curse of the Moon. It's got, Zangetsu is the, you still play Zangetsu, but then it's got three completely new characters. And then I think later in the game, I haven't got there yet, it gets the characters from the original game back, like Miriam and not technically Alucard and the 
Wizard, I think it was. I forget all their fucking names. Um, yeah. But this one has, like, it has the shopkeeper nun lady from the proper Bloodstained game. Uh, she's playable. It has, like, Zangetsu's old war buddy who has a gun. It's pretty cool. And then it has a super intelligent corgi piloting a train mech, which is the best character in anything ever. And, yeah, it's just, it seems like when you start up the game, it has which chapter you're starting. So I think I'm only on chapter one, and that's about as long as the original Curse of the Moon. And there's still a whole bunch of shit. Like, if you played Curse of the Moon, sorry, I'll say it for people that haven't actually played Curse of the Moon. The whole point of Curse of the Moon is you play as, you have four different characters and you can swap between them with the L and R buttons at any time. And each level basically has lots of different routes you can go through it depending on which character you're playing as. So the levels basically work as like a mini Metroidvania map almost. Um, and the whole thing is if you die as one character, you keep going, but with the other three characters and that will lock you off of taking certain routes through the levels and maybe force you to go through a harder route or something. Right? And yeah. So this is more of that, basically. Except now, even with the four characters and everything, there's still routes I can't take. So I still don't know what the fuck is going on there. And I'm at the boss, which was the final boss of the first game, and I'm still in Chapter 1, so I don't actually know what the fuck's going to happen. But there was so much shit going on in that Curse of the Moon. Like, you could play through the game and collect all four characters, or you could kill the other characters and just power up the one dude and all that kind of shit, and so, yeah, honestly, there's still a lot of stuff I don't actually know what the fuck's gonna go on with this game, but I'm really, really loving it, and if you like the first Curse of the Moon, it's great. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. Sounds like a, sounds like a good, like, more expanded take on, on what they did uh, before, which is always nice to see. Uh, DW, what have you been playing? Uh, uh, mainly I've been playing uh, Persona 5 Royal. Um, I'm on the... Uh, Okumura arc, which is like the halfway point of this game. Uh, yeah, it's been a fun time. Uh, the Okumura arc is widely regarded as like, you know, not the best part of the game, but I feel like it's, I guess, more digestible with all like the new content and I guess with Royals Editions. So, so that's, that's the space nice. station dungeon in yeah. the original game. Yeah, the, right? the factory. Yeah. Yeah. The factory space station with the weird glyph puzzles involving Greek letters. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wait, um, Persona? What? Oh, yeah. Um, so the um, Persona 5, basically, like, the dungeons are all basically like the, um, the, the, the main bosses or main antagonists, kind of like mind puzzles. Like, they're basically based out of things that the the main antagonists find empowering or oh, so comforting. Like psychonauts. It is psychonauts, but um just with that kind of like weird anime sheen. Um yeah. <laughs> and like a lot of them are kind of like fairly normal and understandable. There's a castle and there's a museum and then by the fifth one it's just a giant factory because the bad guy for that story is like he's obsessed with things like productivity and exploiting people's labor. So his mind is this giant, like science fiction space factory. Oh yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's aesthetically, it makes sense. It's just that 
dungeon, at least in the original Persona 5, had the worst gameplay. At least according to me. Most people hated the ship dungeon more. I dislike the, the factory more, so I'm with you on that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just started so I don't know how, like, different it is, but uh, it, it's, it's a weird part of the game. I'll, I'll just say that. Um, yeah. Did they make any changes to the other dungeons? I'm curious. Or are uh, they largely most, intact? Most, mostly they're largely intact. There's a few different, I guess, like, alternate paths where you can use this grappling hook, which is like this um, this very context-heavy uh, mechanic where it's like you'll see a wave coin and then you can use the grappling hook. And it'll usually take you to these different, like, locations. Like, there's these things called will seeds, which are basically like these gems that you collect throughout the dungeon that restore your uh, magic and slash SP. And uh, if you get all three of them, you can make a, an accessory in Mementos. So, uh, yeah, so that's usually the main, like, addition to the dungeons. Um, other than that, it's, like, mostly, like, just the regular base game, but, like, I guess a little streamlined. Like, the bosses are different, in a way. They're less complicated. Um, is... I have a question that isn't necessarily important for the game structure, but I have to know... Is Akechi as much of a jerk as he is in the base game? Because <laughs> it's really important to me that Akechi is as much of a jerk as possible. Like, I don't want him to be less of a jerk. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. There's a He has a zone confidant round, which is basically like him and Joker trying to one-up each other, like playing the arc- arcade games or like playing pool, and Akechi will be like, oh, I'm left-handed, but I used my right hand, and I still beat you, and you're like, wow. And okay. Then, and, uh, yeah. Um, so it's a little different than the confidant route in the original Persona 5, where you just, like, sit next to each other drinking coffee, I think, and then yeah. all you could do is, is to, like, just select the rudest response possible. It doesn't matter because you'll always get the confidant points for whatever interaction. So you can just be a massive dick to him. It's cool. Yeah. Uh, ben, uh, for uh, in Kappa, uh, for context, um, one of the more low-key like supporting characters and antagonists in Persona Five is a guy, is a um, character named Goro Akechi. He's a dear God. He's a teenage detective. Who, like he's a high school student who's also. <laughs> Who's also not just a detective, but a celebrity detective, and he's basically oh, been put. Right. It's basically he's honestly like, he's not like, in the sense that not in the sense that he's like a magical serial killer who's talking to a demon, but he is a lot like Light from Death Note in the combination of like arrogance and kind of myopia. <laughs> um, so he's kind of perfect as a foil for. Every other person in the cast. Yeah. He. It's, it's... Oh, I've I've checked that out on Persona a long time ago. I I can't even keep up with it. I played one where there was demons and it was fun, and then the next one I played was nothing like it, and now I don't even know what's going on with it. <laughs> it's it's made some, even as they've refined the gameplay and made it and made the gameplay more entertaining. Um, they've kind of moved away from the tone of the first couple of Persona games, which were extremely dark. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Persona 5 is... is uh, Persona 4 was by far the most lighthearted of them. 
despite the fact that it is about a serial killer. Um, Persona 5 is doesn't really bring back the darkness, but it brings back a lot of... Um, it brings back it adds it adds edginess and a lot of anger and yeah that anger is is to be clear justified given what the game is actually about yeah um but it's very tonally different from the first few persona games so if that's what you latched onto, persona 5 might not appeal to you um yeah, i played persona 3 and that's one of the worst games i've ever played so i'm not out like <laughs> yeah not for me yeah yeah, I, I would not want to go back and play Persona 3 after having played Persona 5, just based on how they've changed the gameplay and made it more accessible and, and streamlined. Um, so, Wolfman, what have you been playing? Um, I have been playing something I actually bought my father for Father's Day. It's a Clubhouse Games 51 Worldwide Classics. It's a um, Switch game that is it's a compilation package of a large number of various classic games and i'm putting classic with i'm adding some slight air quotes to that because it combines like real like popular table games like shogi and chess with card games like solitaire and uh memory or texas hold'em with like even weird stuff like you know that that like that game when you had like a grid paper and you tried to like draw in the lines yeah if they have that um it's uh, ju- it's. They also have like this kind of crappy tank game that's sort of like a um, a well, it's a literal tank controlled like, like <laughs> oh mini game. Uh, it, as well as like some weird stuff too. Um, I- I'm really liking it. Uh, it's there are some small like weird things about it. For one thing, you can't play the uh, multiplayer without the Joy-Cons, but you can play the rest of the game with a Pro Controller, which is, I think, very weird. Uh, And there's definitely some stuff that maybe doesn't get adequately explained, like not all of them tell you the actual controls. That feels like Um, an oversight. It's very, it's odd, but... Beyond that, though, the presentation is very nice. The games are all are not necessarily uniformly fun because there's that stupid tank game. Um, but they're in general, they're very nice. It's been really fun getting to learn how to play Shogi, which I'm still very bad at. But um, Yeah, I tried to teach myself Shogi with the Shogi minigame in Yakuza 0, and I failed miserably. <laughs> I just didn't have the patience for it. Oh, this is one thing that I really like, actually, about... Um, about Clubhouse, which is that, um, uh, which is the fact that um, they actually even give you this thing when you're playing chess or shogi, where they actually show you all the areas that you that your pieces can hit and all the places that the enemies can hit. So okay. it actually can kind of help be like, okay, I know now that this is shogi, so I know the knights can only move forward in a forward direction so now i can see where they're going uh it's it's really nice and it's really helpful to kind of like because it feels like when i'm making the decisions i act i'm getting a better idea of the consequences than just kind of something i overlooked uh yeah it helps you visualize what you would like if you've played a lot of chess you can kind of see three four five moves ahead um Having those visual aids makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Um, it's also just nice, like, 
like tonally because I've spent uh, I've also been playing Dark Souls three for the past month, and while I've been having a lot of fun, I'm at a I'm near the end of the game, and I'm really just struggling to just fight the last few bosses. It's been honestly just kind of a huge pain, and so it's nice like kind of going to this where it's easier but also still difficult because it took me mm-hmm. like 20 hours to beat the highest level difficulty on spider solitaire ah and so you've you've put in you've put in a lot of time into this game it seems yeah it's yeah it's like just little moments when i'm like right before i go to bed I'm, i'll just spend like 15 minutes playing spider solitaire and then i'll realize it's been two hours and i still haven't won <laughs> are you secretly my mom and you haven't mentioned it um i don't know <laughs> <laughs> it's quite it possible. On what, it, it depends on whether your mom uses the Irithyll straight sword or has just prefers using halberds. I will have to message her and find out. I'm not sure. Sorry. <laughs> um. So, what's your favorite mini game? And I shouldn't say mini game. Favorite game in the collection. Um, the fact that I finally beat Spider Solitaire means I kind of want that to be the one that's my favorite. But um, I'm really. Um, you know what? No, it's billiards. It's the billiards game. It's really fun, and I even if it's made me realize that I don't actually think most of the ways to play billiards makes any sense. Um, um it's but, it's nice to just have that available, like the virtual billiards table, since we can't yeah. go out and play real billiards right now. Um, yeah. So um, that's that's uh, Clubhouse Games. Yeah. Uh, Kappa, what have you been playing? Uh, this one, this one hurts. Finally, uh, since it's free on Game Pass, I've been playing Fallout seventy six. Um, oh no, the <laughs> great betrayer! It is. It's it's still awful. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought it would come around and be good. It is not good. I am here to report. Um, oh no. It throws so many things at you out of the gate, right? Like it's it's a game that's you know well into its cycle now. It's it's got fifty million different currencies, some premium, some real, some fake, some you know as far as money. Um, oh, dear God, it, it's Andromeda. It's Mass Effect it, Andromeda. No, oh. it's it's a thousand times worse. Um, the the way they I think they kind of got around a lot of stuff is by doing the premium service, I guess, where you pay money to have a private server with you and your friends. Um, but, I mean, everything about that game feels like a, a funnel to get you to spend real money. Um, and it, it's very disappointing. Uh, even logging in on Game Pass, they throw the atoms at you at a pretty good clip. Um, but I, I would definitely liken it to a mobile game where they're getting you a drip of steady 10, 15, 20 atoms in order to get you to see, well, you know, I could just buy 500 more and get this 1,500 pack if, if I really wanted to. Um, so they have it, atoms it, and bottle caps? or, or Oh, what? atoms are like the real world currency. Uh, bottle caps are very, very sparse in game. I probably played for about five hours and have maybe 200 which isn't enough to even really buy a weapon. Um, so you use atoms to buy bottle. So you use dollars to buy atoms to buy bottle caps. Well, you don't I... even like. They sell literally everything for real money, um, from like God. themes for building your city, your camp, uh, to emotes, to uh, icons for your player, for uh, you know, uh, weapon skins, armor skins, everything. I mean, it, the 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 shop itself is atrocious. I mean, it really is. 
Um, and I mean, you know, I've, I'm not particularly hard on on content that's, you know, microtransaction based and, and stuff like that. But this game just feels like a microtransaction delivery service at times. Um, one of the things I really enjoyed about Fallout uh, 4 the most was building your your city up, you know, and things like that. Um, this game has the camp system, uh, but the camp itself is really just designed to be another funnel for you to spend money. Um, there was very few things that I could do in camp that I couldn't do in a city proper. Um, you know, your crafting benches, things like that. I could only build like very simple wooden looking structures if I wanted wallpaper or to, you know, give it a diner theme or a space theme or something. I had to spend actual real money. Um, it was a huge disappointment. It's it's the most dead bear game I've ever played in my life. Um, just wandering around, seeing nobody, talking to nobody. I got to my first town and there was literally two NPCs in it and one was a dog. Um, <laughs> uh, so this everything... was after having added NPCs to the game. Yeah, I mean, they're, oh, they're there, but they're not good. Um you know, the the best way I could like one guy. So I find I found my first town. I'm wandering around. There's one named person who's kind of the equivalent of like the quest giver. Right. The other quest giver is just from a terminal, like literally a terminal um, that you interact with. Uh, and then th- there's a lot of generic people named like treasure hunter or, you know, like things like that. Uh, like that, not that even like around. Trevor Hunter. No, no, not no, even no, like no, a no. clever name. Oh, God. Named their job more than anything. Um I haven't really kind of I spent way longer building my my town than I should have. And then they've got these things that are kind of like public events in Destiny where uh, people can kind of drop in and drop out. But I saw literally no one, uh, no other players. Nobody came in. Uh, the servers crashed about 10 times. Um, a real, real, real mess. Um, I'm, I'm disappointed even knowing what I was going in getting. Uh, just kind of was feeling that Fallout Jones, and um, when I jumped into this, uh, strong I, recommendation. Yeah, absolutely not. Stay clear, and I I didn't pay for it. It was free on Game Pass, <laughs> and I regret I regret even downloading it. Uh, even the temporary read write space on my hard drive wasn't worth it. Uh, <laughs> now so, your hard drive is tainted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I've I've heard some stuff like, oh, it's gotten better, it's gotten better, it's gotten better, but it's probably gotten better for people who've stuck with it from the beginning. As an entry point, it does one of those things where it's throwing 500 different types of currencies and you get you feel that pinch of um, if I don't really get into this and spend real money, I'm just going to always be the guy who has a boring looking wooden building house. Um, and that's about it, you know, so. Oh, no. Uh, not a fan. Um, yeah, I, I don't see myself playing it much longer. Um, I've, I've also was playing it with my kid who was just literally sitting there like, go get a gun. Go 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 do something. I'm like I I can't. I don't know how. <laughs> like I've got this like <laughs> awfully shitty pipe pistol for like half the game, and then like uh, a board with some nails in it. Um, just <laughs> the, the worst experience you can have. It's a good teaching moment for your kid. Not yeah. all video games are good, son. Yeah, exactly. He was used to me playing Fallout Four. I could just download a mod and have whatever I want. But now it's just uh, yeah, steer clear, even free. All right. Um, so I've been playing this really weird ass game uh, that I think is a lot better than Fallout seventy six. So it looks about as ugly. Uh, called Infini, and uh, it's this weird uh, action puzzle game, I guess. 
so the main mechanic of this is that the screen wraps around. So if you fall out the bottom, then you end up back on top. If you go all the way to the left, you end up on the right of the screen. Um, and in most of the levels, you're constantly falling, and all you can really do is control the speed of descent. Um, and you can kind of move left or right on the screen, and you have to kind of navigate mazes and flip switches and um, like break through walls in the environment to get to the end of the maze. Um, so you're kind of having to solve these puzzles in real time as you're falling, and that leads to a lot of failure and having to redo the levels kind of over and over again, but not in like a bad way. Um, there's, it's all divided up into, into blocks of levels and each block has its own special mechanics. So one has a jet pack. One allows you to shift the direction of gravity. One allows you to kind of shift between different layers of the maze. Like it's actually kind of 3d. Um, it's a really weird game. Like it's very clever, but also really weird. And if you look at screenshots of it, it looks like the ugliest thing on the planet. Um, are we almost at the point where like uh, falling games are a genre at this point? You know what I mean? Like, maybe like it's, it's like kind of like Tetris, but not really. Like, uh, yeah, I guess. What I think of a lot wow, of that's not a looker, is it? <laughs> <laughs> you looked it up. Okay, great. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's purposely yeah. ugly. Um, so okay. Uh, yeah, so Cap was saying... Is it purposely ugly? Is it? Or <laughs> just ugly? I, okay. Like, once you once you play start playing the game, the the purpose... The perp, blah, 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 blah. Once you start playing the game, you realize that it's probably ugly on purpose, or they kind of... They knew they were bad artists, and they kind of leaned into it and told a really messed up story that kind of took advantage of how gross everything looked. Um, so I'd call it a stoner game in that, okay. So there, there are games like they're made for stoners. Like if you, I don't know if you guys have played jazz punk, that old comedy game by adult swim. Um, then this is like a kind of the flip side of that, which is a game made by stoners. Like I, I would not be surprised if the studio that made this was like high as fuck. Well, they're making it, and they're Montreal-based. I know everyone. I've lived in Montreal. Everybody there's high as fuck all the time, um, <laughs> so it's totally believable. Uh, anyway, I've enjoyed this so far, despite the fact that it is, to use Ben's words, not a looker. It's a great, as Kappa would say, falling game, and it's a great puzzle game. Do you so remember? Um, check it out. I, I get, the one I was thinking of. Uh, do you remember Ah, uh, a reckless oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. regard for gravity? Yeah. I was thinking, like, the, after that, there seemed to be, like, a weird little trio of, or, or, like, three or four games that came out around that time that were basically, like, you know, that puzzly falling, doing things as you're doing other things um, with that weightless sense. Um, There's another game that was, like, I can't remember what it was called. Um, it was a very, like, chill game where, like, you kind of glide through circles and stuff as you're slowly descending, um, kind of like a like a floating slash flying game with little puzzles. And if you scrape closer to land and things like that, you get more points. Um, I don't know. It just seems like that there was maybe like kind of a little falling game renaissance oh, God, for a little I'm bit. I'm sorry to interrupt, but it looks so much worse moving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
as far as uh, as far as that goes, I can't think of the exact game that, that you're you're thinking of, Kappa, but I do remember. Oh, uh, Ben's right. <laughs> yeah, there's oh no God. way to convince people to play this game because it looks so fucking ugly. Uh, but I assure you, it is actually kind of fun. Um, there's, there's also like I describe it as um, how do I describe this? As I guess uh, um, manifold garden meets Flappy Bird. <laughs> it looks like oh. when you say like a stoner game, it looks like something that would be on an adult swim cartoon at like two a.m. It looks like something that should be in, like, the background in the opening credits for the Venture Brothers. <laughs> like, it gives me, like, Squidbilly vibes, but worse. It, oh, it reminds me of that weird, um, like, Earthbound-esque RPG that I don't even remember the name. Citizens was of it Earth? Game's Dumb Quick. Uh, was it Citizens of Earth or something else? I think it might have been Citizens of Earth. Yeah. Uh, this looks a lot uglier than Citizens of Earth. Um, this is super duper ugly. There's no way to convince you it's actually fun to play. It's so ugly, I'm kind of intrigued about playing it. Like, it is so bad looking. It, it's it's devilishly difficult at some points. Like, it's actually a hard game. Um, anyway, Infini, check it out if you like ugly games. Also, um, <laughs> an game because there's also a movie with the exact same name. Yeah, I mean, Infini, like, it's just French for infinite, right? So there's probably a lot of things called Infini, right? Because you said Infini, and it's really ugly, and I googled it, and it's like a photo of a woman's face in, like, a space helmet, and I'm like, that looks really well done, and they're like, oh, that's a fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> I should know that what I'm thinking of isn't Citizens of Earth, but I'm, it's going to stick in my mind, so after the show, I will look it up and then check it out in the show notes. All right, Awesome. So, moving on, let's talk about other games that we played in the first half of 2020. Some lesser-known games that some of you folks might have missed. Uh, I've played a lot. I played a lot of games so far this year. A lot of smaller titles. Uh, so I have a bunch that I, I a bunch of smaller titles, Merv. Like a, you were playing a bunch of weird indie shit. I am. <laughs> if now, if they're Japanese, that's especially weird. <laughs> I. I Stuck to the triple A games like you usually do. Um, I haven't played a single new. No, I've played one new Japanese game this year, uh, and I didn't like it, so I'm not going to talk about it. Um, but the rest have been mostly Western games, and one game from Thailand, which I really liked. Um, so apparently, I, I'm an indie game junkie, and I'm just you're a game hipster. Like, let's just fucking be real. I'm a game hipster. <laughs> oh wow! Like you're you're talking you're telling the guy the guy who ordered who pre-ordered Ghost of Tsushima and Paper Mario, uh, a game hipster. But yeah, okay. Yeah, I I still don't change my stand. Okay, cool, 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 fine. Um, so one game that I wanted to mention that I played that I really enjoyed, um, is this short narrative adventure called Wide Ocean Big Jacket, and I've talked about it elsewhere, but I'm just going to mention it again. Um, it's a fairly short game, just an hour. I'll take you to go through. Um, but it's this it's this kind of semi-humorous, semi-dramatic um, look at uh, like two different relationships 
Uh, so there's like uh, a teenage girl and her and her first boyfriend and um, her aunt and uncle. And it kind of gets into... But I just want to point out, you defended yourself about being a game hipster and immediately started talking about a short narrative game about two uh, teenage couple dating and their relationship. <laughs> I mean, this is kind of the game hipster segment of the show. Um, so, like, we're all going to be hipsters by the end of this. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it's a good one. I enjoyed White Ocean Big Jacket. Any other hidden gem? What? Uh, I have words. Um what hidden gems do you folks want to mention from the first half of this year? Well, uh, DW, sure. Yeah, uh, the only real game that I played that wasn't really like a triple A game was uh, Ori and the Will of the Wisps, and I really enjoyed that. It was, uh, it felt so like freeform with its movement and like mechanics and stuff like that, and just had like had like so many good bosses and just like well designed levels like. I just really enjoyed it. Play the first one by chance? Yeah. No, I have. Oh, you should go back and play it. It's a lot harder than Will of the Wisp, but it's also really good. Also, okay. it will make you cry like a child. <laughs> yeah. That game is sad as fuck. But yeah, I really, really loved Will of the Wisp. I thought it's a really, really great expansion of a bunch of the concepts in the first one. Like, how you have like the town that you build up and everything now. It's really fucking good. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, and you don't expect a game with like that kind of gorgeous art style to be this really tight platformer as well. Yeah. It's like a massacre game, but like yeah. fucking gorgeous instead of the usual like shitty I want to be the guy pixel art stolen from 12 different games. Or that like we're just sort of going to draw something and badly like rotoscope it. So like it not like Infini. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, it it, did, it definitely did go under some people's radars. Did you play with a controller or with a keyboard? Uh, I played with a controller, yeah. I felt one of the big problems it has is it has so many fucking abilities and a bunch of them get tied to the same button with context sensitivity. Which yeah. is context, like... It doesn't work as well as it needs to in some of the bits that it demands you to do. Like the fucking, I think it's right bumper is your little horizontal dash, but it's also to do burrowing into the sand if you're close enough. Yeah. And like, there, that bit where you're getting chased by a fucking worm, I died so many times by, I want to do the burrowing into the sand and I do the dash instead and fucking drove me bonkers. The only time I really had that was with the. Uh... The, the bash and the grapple hook are binded to the same button. So anytime yeah. like I wanted to like bash an enemy and like leap forward, I always like grappled something, and I'm like, no, I got, I'm gonna get hit. Um, I think on if you play with mouse and keyboard, you can bind them to separate keys oh, that's or, nice. or mouse buttons. So I played with mouse and keyboard, like I played the original Ori, and it's one of the few 2D platformers that plays better on mouse and keyboard um, because there's some abilities that you want to aim pretty finely and it's actually easier to do it with a mouse than with a thumbstick. Oh, like, yeah, bash and all that yeah. shit. Thing. I will so, say that I think bash is maybe one of the coolest abilities in a 2D platformer ever. It's so much fun. Yeah. It's so versatile and it does, like, 
the, the fact that you use it both to harm enemies and to platform, sometimes simultaneously, that's really clever. I think one of the coolest things about it is like it makes you feel like you're breaking the game somewhat, like you're not supposed to get to certain places. So it really sort of like gets that Metroidvania sort of like essence of like just discovering your own ways to get around the world and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, Ben, what what uh, hidden gems from the first half of, of 2020 I do you want to mention? Completely by chance, I picked up a game off of Games Pass because it had a cool-looking icon and I didn't know anything about it called Journey to a Savage Planet. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Heard I heard one. about that. Like, it, basically, the best way I can describe it is if Metroid Prime was made by Rare in, like, their Conker's Bad Fur Day era. <laughs> that is, um, that's giving me a lot of conflicted emotions right now, but I want to hear more about this. surprisingly selling me on this. <laughs> like, it is a first-person Metroidvania game where you, like, land on a planet, like, and go and explore it, like, with fucking Metroidvania skills and everything. But everything, like, the art design and the humor and everything has, like, very distinctive, like, kind of rare vibes to it, where, like... You work for this company who are the fourth best space exploration company on Earth, and whenever you go back to your pl- whenever you go back to your ship to like upgrade your stuff, get your new abilities and everything, there's like live action ads play for like um alien blob sex line and all that kind of shit. You have like this AI controller, like AI companion thing, kind of like a Cortana you, who like when you upgrade tells you. Like, when you upgrade your health, it tells you how all your organs have now been replaced by rock-hard space tumors, so you're harder to kill. And there's, like, the cute little adorable animals that bounce around and make cute little noises that you have to, like, punt into, like, these giant, like, spinning blade plants to, like, feed them blood so you can go over to the next area and everything. It's all very, very railway. It's legitimately hilarious a lot of the times. And... It's also just got that, like, really good sense of, like, Metroidvania first-person exploration stuff. And just, it's like, like, going into it with absolutely no context, no idea anything about this game, and just, like, fuck, it's really, really good. I love when that happens, when you just, like, pick up a game that you've barely heard anything about, and it turns out to be great. That that always makes me, uh, makes me happy. Yeah. Um... Yeah, this is well, a contender for my game of the year so far. Oh wow, um, that that's that's high praise because like my game of the year so far is Hori, and so like that's that's really good. Um, Kappa, what what hidden gems have you played so far this year? I'm like the opposite of a video game hipster. I'm like such, so mainstream. Um, I, I this one I guess maybe a little bit cheating because the actual game came out a while ago, but. Um, I've really been getting into uh, Two Point Hospital again. Two Points Hospital. Um, it's oh, the yeah. uh, spiritual slash actual successor to Theme Hospital. Um, I, I kind of came and went. I don't think many people talked about it. I didn't hear any kind of you know rumbling about it. But it's it's uh, it hit consoles, and I was just kind of casually clicking around. I saw it, bought it, and um, basically took up me and my kids whole week um still got that light humor uh that theme hospital had you know lots of funny diseases and stuff like that um very silly uh you know kind of the 
counteract some of the real world stuff that's going on. But um, I, I just kind of seem like one of those games that maybe came and went and people missed out on it. I don't know if it's entirely under the radar, um, but if you do like that style of game, it's it's a perfect, you know, itch to scratch that style of game. Um, oh, honestly, I hadn't type stuff. Yeah, honestly, I hadn't heard of it until you mentioned it on the no. previous games cast. Well, um, so, like, and I just looked it up. Yeah, it came out this February on console after having come out uh, back in 2018 on uh, PC platforms. So, yeah, that's that's. Um, it's nice. It's nice to see like a revival of these old like '90s style sim slash theme games. Yeah, which they just didn't make during the aughts at all. Weirdly, it's been like a like a remake half a year for me, right? Like I've been playing so many remakes or you know remasters or or game of the year collections or stuff. I don't know why. It just seems like everything is all hitting at once. All these different remakes of stuff. I've been playing Command and Conquer remake and Warcraft Three remake, and you know just a lot of those those games that for whatever reason you know they all seem to hit early this year. Um, so that was kind of my my whole year at least so far. Has been a lot of remakes and stuff. Yeah, for me as well, it's been uh, a lot of the Master Chief Collection um, on PC. Uh, we're recording this on, on the 11th. I think the Halo 3, um, Halo 3 set to release on for PC on the 14th. Yay! So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I've been really enjoying going through uh, the old Halo games. Doesn't come out without Halo 3 on it on PC. Pardon me? The Master Chief Collection on PC didn't have Halo 3. No, they've been releasing them like chronologically. Um, like one by they, one. Yeah, one by one every like couple months. Oh, so. that's fucking weird. Okay. Yeah, so, it's it's a weird system. Got released on the Xbox One, which just had like one, two, three. Yeah, so this is they started with they they go by chronological order of the story. So they started with Reach late last year, then. Uh, one came early this year, then two, then three ODST and four are following. Uh, still no word about Halo 5 on PC. I don't know. I guess that's eventually going to happen, but like, I they're running out of time in which to make it happen before yeah. it comes out. So we'll see. Um, yeah, uh, Wolfman, what, what uh, weird games the first half of the year did you play? Unfortunately, uh, Merv, you have me at a bit of a disadvantage because while I have been uh, playing, because I've only been playing about three games that debuted this year, and two of them were uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake, which I like, and Animal Crossing New Horizons, which I love, and neither of those really count for this uh, discussion, and that leaves me to unfortunately have to talk about the the indie game that I play, or the 2020 the first indie game of 2012 of 2020 I've played, which is unfortunately a game you and I have talked about uh, the unfortunate murder by numbers, a, a crossover of a, an Ace attorney esque visual novel, mis- murder mystery series and Picross. And it does worse. It does poorly by both. I have to say, um, so just as kind of a disclaimer, People have generally responded well to the game. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not one of those people. 
And I will also say personally, I loved the first half, the first two chapters of the game. And by the end of the last two chapters, I wanted to strangle myself. Um, so it's it, a game that, that quick that I kind of turned on after liking it, it initially. I feel like it's a game that, like, I honestly feel like if it just changed a few different things, it would have worked a lot more strongly. I feel like the writing kind of very quickly isn't super great. I feel like it's, the quirky parts never feel like the right kind of quirky and the dramatic parts often don't really feel like they have enough heft. Um, and the actual mysteries aren't particularly interesting. I don't think. Um, Cause it's so obvious who, especially the second one, it's super. And the third one, it's super obvious who did both of those. Yeah. Um, like it's, it's so telegraphed it, and you're, you're just going through the motions. Uh, yeah, I think one of the things that I think, uh, say, Ace Attorney does pretty well is that even when it's kind of obvious who the killer is, like, it's still, everyone still has something they're hiding, so there's just kind of inherent drama in that that's not as satisfying. Um, I don't think, that's something that you don't really have in sa as satisfying uh, qualities as in Murder by Numbers. But the thing that really weirds me out is that like, if you, if, you know, I think both of us were really excited when the game came out. Um, yeah. Uh, I certainly was, because I absolutely love Ace Attorney, I love Picross. Um, and what really is shocking to me is that it's the Picross part that's the worst. Yeah, so there are a couple of things that are that are bad about this. The first is pacing. In some of the later chapters, the Picross puzzles just become so long that you kind of forget what's going on in the plot. Um, and the second problem is that the user interface is deficient, so there's no easy way to undo things, uh, or go back like five, six steps if you know you screwed yeah. up somewhere. Um, so often if you screw up, you just have to restart the entire puzzle. Yeah. It's also like, it's weird too, because, um, you know, it, it came out on switch first and a day and admittedly it came out on PCs a day later, but it was pretty like the switch version was i think the most heavily advertised version and like the switch already has a picross series that does this really well the picross s series uh and yeah, there's a there's a, a template to emulate here yeah it, it's just it's weird because it has so few quality of life things that would be standard in a game as anemic as picross um and then there's also the fact that um certain is that basically the way they do it is that as the game goes on the picross puzzles get increasingly difficult but if you want to play the really challenging ones you have to find all of the picross puzzles in each level and then they get unlocked in the bonus but the problem is that you can easily be cut gated off from finding those puzzles so the only way to get them back is to just replay the level entirely and that's it's just it's such a weird it's frustrating because like it it you really feel like it almost reaches something really good and then it doesn't it's like the opposite of ben you're finding this weird game like almost by random yeah it feels like it it really feels like a game that doesn't live up to its potential um and there's a lot that there's a lot to potentially love about it um you know, they've got this this interesting quirky cast and and 
you know, some, some, some good writing in there. Um, and like I said, I really like the first two chapters. So my recommendation would be play the first two chapters and pretend the game ends there. Um, and, uh, I think you'll get, you know, your, your 15 hours of enjoyment out of this instead of what took me 53 hours to beat because the puzzles got so long in the last two chapters. Um, yep. They yeah. Do. So you can actually see me like I, I had, um, the game open on one window and then like a chat window or like I had the avocado actually open on the other window and like every few minutes be like why the fuck is this game still going please save me <laughs> it, yeah it's um I don't know I, I um I do think that this formula can work I just think it has to be mechanically viewed in very different context yeah I think they they could have done something a little different and still had it turn out good. Um, so a couple more games that went under the radar that I that I wanted to mention. Um, so there's one game that I've been talking up called Timely, which is, um, I believe it was made by a studio in Thailand called Ernik. Um, I think it's Thailand. Don't quote me on that. Um, and it's a stealth puzzle game, but it's viewed from an isometric perspective. And what you can do is um, every time that you, you, you kind of mess up, you can rewind time and then um, so back to... Sorry? So Prince of Persia. Yeah, it's kind of like Prince of Persia that you can rewind back. But the whole point is to plan out a route f um, for getting from point A to point B, avoiding all the guards. And so once you've planned out that route in full... Um, by you know going forward and backward in time, then uh, what the game does is it plays your route, and you can see kind of like your cleverness being executed. Oh, so it's kind of like um fucking Katana Zero. Uh, I know you've talked about Katana, Katana Zero. Like, I just Katana forget. Zero was like it's a one-hit kill game, and every time you like die, you get rewound to the beginning of the level, and then. Have to basically until you like do it like a hundred times until you can do the level perfectly, and then you get a quick playthrough of just you absolutely destroying the level like that one perfect time. Yeah, it's sort of like that, except for you are free to to fast forward and rewind as you wish. Uh, there's no restriction on that power whatsoever. Um, so yeah, if you get caught, you just rewind back three seconds instead of having to replan your route right from the start. It's a Thai studio, by the way. It is a Thai studio. Great. Um, so, yeah, it's. I highly recommend it. It has some of the cleverest puzzle design I've seen in years. So, if you're in the market for a puzzle game, check it out. Um, and finally, I wanted to mention a game called Golf with Your Friends, which I don't think is super under the radar, um, but came out this year and it's a pretty good mini golf simulator to you can play multiplayer with your friends um as the title suggests i've been playing it with some of my uh meat space friends and they've um really been enjoying it so oh, this you want is not the game i thought it was are you talking about time or golf with your friends no, golf with your friends like you i'm right golf with your friends on the thing i thought it was that game where every time you like uh, I don't know what it's called. There's like some golf game where it's got like the, you know, the fucking little power media always getting golf games. 
Yeah. Yeah, and every time you hit that, something moves on the screen, but it's not always the golf ball. Um, what what games could that be? There's what the golf, uh, vertiginous golf, hundred foot robot golf. I think it might have been what the golf. Yeah, I've played what the golf. Um, there are levels where when you hit the the ball, the ball moves. There's some levels where you hit the ball, something else moves. There are some levels that parody other games like Flappy Bird and Super Hot. Um, great comedy game if you're in the market for one of those. Um, Golf with Your Friends is kind of an unintentional comedy game because it's super janky and there are supernatural power-ups in it. So you can do stuff like um, lay literal honey traps behind you as you move. So you can just like poop out honey as your ball moves across the, the field. Um, you can do other things like double jump. There are jet packs and rockets. It's a oh, good time. Fuck. Why does a golf game have double jumps? I mean, look, the, wait, like, are they double jumps for the person or for the, for the balls? Uh, there are no humans or, or putters or, or anything walking around. It's just balls. Oh, that's, um, it's rad. So, okay, so they have one mode that's like a basketball mode, where instead of trying to get the ball in a hole at the end, you have to try to dunk it in a hoop, and you can, like, click your mouse button to make the ball jump as it moves. I just think we need to appreciate the fact that we just got <laughs> to say just ball before. It's just yeah. ball. In the next next uh, episode, we're going to have to get Merv to talk about everyone's favorite 90, uh, mid-90s Sega Genesis fighting game Balls <laughs> uh, I was going to say You have to get me to say No pads, no helmets um, But I realized that making simple plan references On this podcast is probably a bad idea Wait, like simple Crickets. plan Like the fucking 2000s Fucking pop-punk band Yeah, their first album was called No Pads, No Helmets, Just Balls. And I'm obligated to know this because they're Canadian and I have to know everything about Canada. Um, Fuck, gun to my head, I couldn't tell you how that one simple plan song I'm pretty sure I've heard goes. Which one? Uh, Addicted, I'm Just a Kid, I'd Do Anything. Uh, Untitled, How Could This Happen to Me? Why do I know so many simple plan songs? I think that's untitled, How Could This Happen to Me? Which raises the question, how is the song untitled if it has brackets? I should probably not be yelling, my wife is still asleep, it's like 4am here. <laughs> We're, like, especially, like, imagine waking, waking your wife up over a simple plan. <laughs> Anyway, this has gone off track. Um, um, I believe it's gone on track. <laughs> okay, this is the Simple Plan Podcast now. Um, we are now a pop-punk podcast. Um, anyway, uh, any hidden pop-punk albums for the first half of 2020 that you folks want to mention before we move on? Uh, there is one thing that I'm, I have not played, but I'm very excited to play. Which is? Oh, please be an actual full punk album. <laughs> no, sorry. It's Deadly Premonition 2. Oh, yeah. That's out now. Yeah. Um, technically, this is from... It's technically from the first half of the year, even though it came out, I believe, today, a time of recording. Um, uh, 
I I'm a big fan of the first Deadly Premonition. Um, it's an incredibly goofy experience, and it's very odd, and it kind of features this weird combination of really trying to like reach to something that's just kind of functionally better. <laughs> But in this like kind of clumsy way, but I also found it very charming. I found it very earnest and I ended up really liking the drama and the characters. So I'm really excited for this. But what I'm more just kind of enjoying is this initial response, because by all accounts, the game is um, broken as fuck. (laughs) I was going to go with uh, technically problematic. Okay, or that's uh, a nice way of putting it. yeah, uh, mechanically inept, uh, with <laughs> an apparently like vi- which with kind of like a barely existent um, frame rate and incredibly stilted voice acting. And the thing is, like, um, that's all that the- makes you just want to play it more, right? Well, the thing is, is like what I loved about Deadly Premonition was both in spite of its technical shortcomings and because of its technical shortcomings. So like, and also just, this is completely in the wheelhouse of this first game. Uh, So it's just kind of fascinating um, because this version is releasing as a timed exclusive on Nintendo Switch. Uh, The first game was released for Switch a few months ago. And, but uh, the original game was originally only, uh, for Xbox 360, and then it got a PlayStation uh, port and then a PC port. So it's kind of been fascinating to me watching an entirely new audience of people kind of coming to grips with and struggling with, like, this, just how incredibly weird and goofy and stilted these games are. Yeah, like, I tried to play the first Deadly Premonition and then reached a point of the, at the game where it just kept crashing. And yeah. I couldn't progress. Oh, you play it on? PC. Ah. It's one of the things where the Xbox 360 version actually didn't run that badly, and every subsequent port has been worse. <laughs> yeah, um, and then they added the um, director's cut, which I think actually added more problems. Yeah. Um, so I can't finish the game. <laughs> oh, well. Um, but yeah, it's I'm, I'm glad that people are, are getting excited by this. I, I want good things for Swery. Yeah, I do. Um, He's... I I enjoyed The Missing. I thought that was a great game that came out a couple years ago. Um, currently working on The Good Life. I just want weird ass things to keep getting made. He's I kind I of be for episode two already. Yeah, yeah, that shit ain't never happening, man. Uh, Swery said it's never happening. Um, I I you know what? I'm this might come across as a bit of a hot take, but but I kind of feel like Swery is like the better Suda Five One. I is it because you like at all i know I, more just in the sense of like where they are in the cultural space i guess suit 51 is like a lot edgier right yeah um yeah. And more in the, the idea of like these sort of kind of although have you seen uh swery's fucking tattoos like his <laughs> fucking yakuza back tattoo <laughs> <laughs> I find that funny because he's also apparently a, a Buddhist monk. Yeah, he's a Buddhist monk, but he's got a Yakuza back tattoo because fuck you. Yeah, that, 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 I'm. Yeah, I am so utterly charmed by that. Like, I, I really can't fully express how charming I find that. He's he's an odd fellow, but I'm glad he's out there making games. I just want um, a day for us to get a game. Where Yoko Taro, Suda51, and Swery make a game together. 
Oh my god. I think the world would end if that yeah. happened. Uh, and that is not an oblique reference to The World Ends With You. Um, anyway, uh, just before we move on to the last segment, uh, which are older games that we got around to in 2020, I just wanted to mention some pop-punk gems from the first half of uh, 2020. Uh, check out <laughs> Melee by Dogleg, uh, You'll Be Fine by Hot Mulligan, and Ivy by Charmer. All three great albums. I just want to say... I've gone through a lot on this podcast, but this is the first time I've thought, maybe I shouldn't come back. Uh, I mean... I mean, like, if, you want, if you want stuff that's more in your wheelhouse, uh, the Grey Days album that was released posthumously after Chester Bennington's death finally came out this year, and it's pretty damn good. I know that's in your wheelhouse, Ben, so but, check I mean, that out. Just want to point out, Ben, that if you don't come back, there's a very strong chance you won't find another game with an art style like Infinity to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so a lot of games came out in 2019, and sometimes we don't have all the time in the world to play video games. But now we, because of circumstances, have a lot more time to play video games. So I personally got around to at least four games that came out in 20, 2019. Uh, this year. Uh, the first one of those was Control, which actually started kind of the tail end of 2019 and then finished in 2020. That game's uh, really uh, fucking good. Yeah, uh, I, that was my favorite. That Well, it was, uh, spoilers for my section, but it was my favorite game of 2019. Yeah, I enjoyed, yeah, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, it was like one of the first big budget games I've played in a long time that I enjoyed, which I know sounds makes me sound even more like a video game hipster, but roll with it um what i really appreciate about uh what it does is that it took a lot of bits and pieces from other games that i really liked and then threw them all in a blender and uh what came out was a delicious smoothie of stuff that i really liked also how fucking good is the cigarette maze can we just address that for a second the ashtray oh, maze yeah ashtray yeah maze. oh my god it's amazing shit, yeah amazing. that was my favorite part yeah that it, no, that was yeah, easily one of my favorite sequences of a game from last year. That's like, I think, my favorite thing in a game. Just ever. It's <laughs> it, so cool. It, it's like a kind of really p perfect way to translate like a lot of its stylistic in, like inspirations into a setting that doesn't necessarily work for them. Like, I don't want to see a Twin Peaks action game, but I... But this is basically about as close as you'd come to, like, an action scene at the Black Lodge, but in a way that actually works. I do yeah. The one thing I will say about it, though, is, like, I remember starting this game up and being like, well, it's a Remedy game. The ending's going to suck. And then I got to the ending, and the ending sucked. Like, yeah, <laughs> I actually didn't mind the ending, but I have... Perhaps low standards for yeah. video game narratives. Every single Remedy game ending is like, man, that makes me really excited for the next game that they'll never make. Yeah. I really hope that they do make a Control 2, but they might not because they're just making a bunch of DLC for this, uh, which I haven't fired up yet or even bought. But yeah, um, I enjoyed Control. Um, what else have you folks gotten around to from uh, 2019? Um, so I've played, uh, been played, I've so far played four games from 2019. Two of them I 
kind of bounced off of Outer Wilds because it made me physically sick. Death Stranding because it also kind of made me physically sick, albeit to a lesser extent, and I do want to go back to it. I loved Resident Evil 2, but for me, and I realize I'm far from the first evangelist on this podcast to talk about this, but it's Fire Emblem Three Houses for me, which uh, is probably my favorite game of last year. Uh, yeah, I've heard, um, like, it actually was the uh, Avocado Games Cast Collective Game of the Year, as Ooh. DW will remember. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, the um, the thing is that um, a member of, so a guest of the podcast, uh, Lovely Bones, uh, um, like a while ago before, I, when she started playing the game, she described it to me as the best Bioware game since Mass Effect 2. <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of is like it's Mass Effect 2 but if every suicide every mission was a suicide mission and every mission was potentially a loyalty mission it's really weird and I, I just found myself immensely entertained by it gripped by it and charmed by it uh, um yeah yeah I think there, there are very few games that have that kind of I shouldn't say very few, like uh, that Sakura Wars game that came out um, earlier this year kind of follows a similar format. Um, but there's kind of a dearth of games that um, kind of mix the like that the, those very deep character interactions with also deep combat. Um, and it's, it's a hard thing to balance out really well. And from what I've heard, uh, Three Houses does that really well. Yeah. Um, it, it's just very satisfying and like, there's just something really nice about like, I guess another way I would compare it to, and this is a weird comparison. Um, I think even fans of the game would probably find the bulk at this for a bit, but it kind of reminds me of like one of those like prestige HBO dramas that have like a hundred characters. And we start out, you know, you understand like two of them. And by the end, you've spent like enough time with them that you can kind of remember everyone. Like early on, I was just like, okay, I don't know who this person is. I'm just going to focus on like the, like these 10 people that I'm working with. And by the end it was like, I, I like I kind of got, I even understood a lot of the relationships of the characters I didn't particularly like or spend time with and by extension, never really recruited them. Um, it's just really, really good. And, um, I, uh, I'm kind of concerned about trying to talk about this game in a way that is maybe distinct from the way other people have talked about it before, including on this podcast. So, uh, I'll just say that there's a part where, um, there's one character who is a super weird elitist asshole. And by the end, he's basically trying to invent public education while you and them are all sort of like committing war crimes to stop other war crimes. It's very odd. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a, a tactical JRPG. <laughs> what was your house? Uh... Uh, Black Eagles. Okay, same here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's. I feel like narratively, that's the one that kind of, I don't want to say makes the most sense, but I think it's the most interesting and probably the one that has the most satisfying like perspective if that makes yeah. sense. Oh, huh. interesting. Uh -huh. uh, um, so, DW, what have you played from 2019? 
Uh, well, my two were, uh, uh, wait, let me think. I played Disco Elysium when I got it for Christmas, and I think I either, I either beat it before New Year's or I beat it, like, a little bit after, so that might not count. Uh, but then, yeah, the you other... You can lie and say it counts. It's all good. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, so that was a really interesting game, because I never really played CRPGs before, so it was kind of interesting just to get in that sort of headspace where you're just like reading a lot and just like interacting with characters and uh i really enjoyed sort of the skill system where it's just like you're leveling up like different personality traits like empathy or your logic instead of just like fighting because fighting is usually like my least favorite part of rpg rpgs i usually just like to talk my way out of situations and when i do i usually get kind of mad uh uh so that was kind of a treat that there's just talking pretty much and no combat yeah what was the other one that you played uh just like wolfie fire emblem three houses I, oh yeah i uh yeah uh i don't know what else i can have other than yeah i really enjoy it it really gets you like attached to like your students and like all the characters in their various lives like at first, you think they're, like, these one, like, trait, like, anime characters, but then they, like, get, like... Kind of reveal hidden depths. And they yeah. get, they kind of get broken, too. Like, a yeah. lot of them suffer... Like, pretty much every character in the story has some kind of trauma in their backstory, but a lot of them have, like, psychological... Yes, exactly! Uh, but they do... But a lot of them... But many of them also just suffer the fundamental trauma of being in this plot because you're in a giant yeah. like, continental civil war. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, it, DW, uh, is, I just wanted to, there's one thing I just wanted to mention. Yeah, I, sure. Um, which is that um, it does something, when I say that it's like the thing with the Bioware stuff and the loyalty missions is one of the things that makes it really good is that it's not just your character. Like the, the relationships aren't just between your protagonist and all the people, you know, it's between them and each other. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's not less like you're, it's not like a hub and spoke kind of thing. It's kind of just like a web of people who have their own lives and interact with each other. Yes. Uh, yeah. They yeah, because thought... otherwise, like, a lot of games tend to feel like they're so player character-centric that they start to feel unrealistic. Yeah. So it's nice to see um, that you're not so centered. Yeah, you're pretty in, much just, like, the experience. while you are kind of, like, have these special powers and stuff like that, and you wield a cool sword, you're basically, like, this guiding hand just to nurture your Please students and make them, like... actual name is the cool sword. You can nickname them uh, the cool sword if you'd like. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you get blessed at the beginning of the game with "You must take this, the cool sword." Yeah. Um. Although, actually, uh, the main character Byleth does have a cool sword because it's a sword made out of people's bones. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's dark. Thing, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like it's a very like like there's a lot of joy and like levelly like in the game, but it's also like. Dark Souls for a second. But it's also, like, really brutal in a lot of ways. That's kind of, like, the main draw of it. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, uh, Kappa, what do you play from 2019? I'm getting around to now. Listed four or five, but I think really the two worth probably worth talking about would be Untitled Goose Game, which I oh, yeah. really didn't like at all. Um, oh yeah, that, I'm kind of in the same boat. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm a I guess other people had you know different experience with it. I I think it was kind of fun e in a way, but I I didn't really enjoy it enough to really get through to too far into it um but uh, i think i enjoyed the memes more than the actual yeah, game absolutely. i still love the memes yeah but the game uh eh. yeah. um but the one i did want to talk about was uh the blair witch game um oh yeah that uh, thing that one kind of came and went i think people forgot it existed and i uh, you know again just cruising through game pass so i was like oh look at that uh i wanted to check it out um and it sucked me right in um very effective horror game. Um, the guys who did it are not, you know, um, you know, novices in the horror genre. Um, and it seems weird that this one with a, you know, kind of a, a background in a, in a game or in a very iconic horror setting kind of seemed like it slipped out there. Um, but I really enjoyed it. Um, very effective, scary game. Um, it, it does something really interesting with a horror game that I think it just makes the atmosphere and setting scary. It doesn't have to rely on, you know, ghosts or zombies or, you know, anything else to really scare you. Just, just the, the woods at night feels scary. Um, which, which is a cool way to kind of go out and, and explore the game. Uh, the dog is maybe not the best mechanic. Um, it feels a little bit, I don't know, like 70% there. Um, some of the mechanics in the game aren't just all the way fleshed out, but I like that they kind of try to give you different ways to interact with scary stuff rather than just bumbling around in dark places. Um, so I thought that was kind of effective. Uh, it's it's just a good horror game. Um, I, I would tell people, you know, if that if that's a genre that you enjoy um, and you want to get creeped out, and there are jump scares aplenty, and um, it's not quite like you know at the pinnacle of the genre, like maybe like a Silent Hill or something. But um, for something that doesn't really get a lot of releases horror games in general um i i enjoyed my time with it i really did um i think i probably finished i think there's some stuff i missed here and there um i don't know if i could sit myself down and replay it because there's there's a lot of tense moments but uh really enjoyable game um and i haven't heard much about it at all honestly um so yeah i heard a lot of people talking about it and it just kind of disappeared from the zeitgeist yeah. which and like I had never heard anything negative about it, really. Well, so I was I, wondering why it didn't get like a lot of praise after. I think it was an Xbox exclusive. That might be a big part of it. But um, I, I don't think it is now anymore. I think it probably got you know a couple of different releases. But um, what I would say, I think, you know, I, I think Blair Witch was one of those of its time things. I think maybe for our generation ish, uh, that was a really like pivotal horror movie right like there was that kind of weird was this real did this really happen and did people find it and seeing the movie it was kind of a lot of weirdness i don't think that we'd seen before that found footage um yeah what the hell was that ending type thing going on um it was the kind of movie that like you almost had to dare people to go see um so i think if, if you kind of grew up with that blair witch in your background um that the game what well, walks through some of that lore and and mythos pretty interestingly um and and the game has its own tale to tell um but it it feels really effective as a horror game um so i think that was one that i I actually did enjoy um and it kind of lived up to some some very minor hype um but i I did enjoy my time with it 
Yeah, it's always good to to kind of go back and, and play a game that had um, kind of minor hype around it and find something you really enjoyed. Um, so I, what, that for me was I, The Somnium Files, which came out, I think, last August or September. Um, and I played it this spring. And I thought, you know, it would be just kind of another VN puzzle game, not super great or anything. But I ended up really gripped by the story it was trying to tell um it's one of the few games i've played where i've been genuinely shocked by all the twists but they all kind of made logical sense in retrospect um so i would highly recommend it if you're into that genre of of like twisty visual novels um but you know otherwise uh it is it is a, like a bit of an acquired taste for sure. Um, it's also curiously one of two Japanese games released in 2019 about murder victims with their eyes gouged out and protagonist voiced by Jeg, by Greg Chun in the English dub. Um, I don't know why there are two of those last year. The other one was Judgment, which is also pretty good, uh, but this one's better. So, if you have to pick one Japanese game released in 2019 about murder victims with their eyes gouged out and protagonist voiced by Greg Chun in the English dub, pick either Sonic and Boss. Um, so, yeah, it's a whole genre now. <laughs> um, ben, uh, what games from uh, 2019 are you getting around to now? Well, I think it got one of its re-releases in 2019, so I'm just cheating and saying, fuck it, why not? Kingdom Hearts is shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> my, my head has flown off, good sir. I decided... Fuck it, but there is this dude on Twitter called The Amazing Foo. He did a really good tweet thread about playing through Kingdom Hearts 2 that convinced me, fuck it, I'm going to grab that collection. I'll start at the first game, play through them. Oh my god, they're so bad! Like, <laughs> so I played Kingdom Hearts 1. Kingdom Hearts 1 is a fucking trash fire of a game. How the hell did this become a franchise? The combat is awful. The level designs are awful. The acting is awful. Like, everyone's like it's one of those things where like oh these like this like acting is really impressive the ps2 but boy that fucking hate bad like and the combat has a thing where the combat is really focused on looking cool at the expense of actually playing any good at all so you lock on to a character like when you hit x or triangle whatever the fuck the attack button is you automatically lock on to the closest character and like do like a rush towards everything which means like half the levels the enemies are like off a cliff so your character just automatically locks onto an enemy, flies off the cliff and kills himself, and like, oh, cool. So I'm doing fucking hollow bastion, falling off a cliff every ten minutes, falling down to the very bottom of the level, having to go all the way back up, fucking get it. And then I got up to a bit where I fucking... You're talking about the Tarzan level, right? Because that happens a lot in the Tarzan level. Oh, fuck the Tarzan level. Oh yeah. my god, that's the worst level in a video game I've ever played. Tarzan <laughs> level goes for anyone that hasn't played Kingdom Hearts. You start at the treetops, go down to the camp, then the camp, people in the camp are like, hey, go back to the treetop, so you go back to the, <laughs> the treetop, like, go back to the camp, so you go back oh. to the camp, and you do that seven fucking times, That's until just... fucking the hunter arrives on a giant chameleon for some reason? Like, where was that in the fucking movie? Wait. But no, now you've got to fight a giant chameleon, and apparently <laughs> it's like full of darkness or some shit? Fuck this game! So anyway, I... <laughs> I beat Chernobog, and then got up to a bit 
where it's like, oh, cool, now we're going to make you run a gauntlet. It takes like 20 minutes to get to the end of it for this fucking door to fall apart where you have to kill all these stupid enemies. But the combat sucks, remember? So you're just doing this shit, doing this shit. I did that for like 40 minutes. I tried it about like four times. And I'm just like, fuck it. I watched the end of the game on YouTube. Then I started the next one. Why are these all so bad? Um, which one are you on right now? Uh, okay, I'm about halfway through Kingdom Hearts 2, which is one of the most absurd games I've ever played. It's slightly better than the first one. Like, it is, like it's not an awful game this time. It's perfectly playable. But the oh. thing, <laughs> How the wonderful. Thing, <laughs> yeah, like, that's high praise. Like, this game isn't driving me insane. But the thing that gets me about Kingdom Hearts 2 is... It is the most absurdly expensive game I've ever played. <laughs> Everything about this game is fucking money. The, if you haven't played the Kingdom Hearts games, which don't, there is a thing where in the bottom left-hand corner there is always a menu which you choose like from your attack, your like, items and all that kind of shit. Like an RPG menu, but within that action game, like aesthetic and everything. Every single different place you go to in Kingdom Hearts 2 completely redesigns that menu with a new aesthetic. There is an area in... Twilight Town's the first place, right? Yeah. 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 Where you go into a mansion, every different room changes the fucking <laughs> menu. Like, there must be like 50 menu designs they've done for this game. There is so much money in this game. There is how the combat system works in this game is instead of just leveling up and your like numbers get bigger and everything, you get new abilities and your moves look cooler. Like, Everything gets reanimated as you go, which is sense on the start. Like, there is a reason this game, like, you look at the credits, this game has, like, a hundred animators working on it. Like, but then you go to the Lion King world, where you turn into a lion, and you hold your fucking key sword in your mouth, and every single thing you can do is completely reanimated again for being a lion. Like... <laughs> yep. an absurd amount of animation to do and then they just redid it all again except then you go to fucking the little mermaid level and turn into a mermaid and it's all done again like, <laughs> except for there's no combat in the cage 2 uh, little mermaid level Oh, it's uh, but there is in the cage one. Oh, okay I must be getting confused but anyway I mean uh, wait I'm sorry I just, just not need to interject for a second so, no, no, you away. I rambled for a while. No, I want to hear you ramble more, but um, specifically, so there's a level like it, where there's no combat in a game that's about combat? Oh, no. Uh, oh, it, oh, yeah, it, it turns into a rhythm game. Oh, yeah. About the Kingdom yeah. Hearts 2 fucking Little Mermaid level. So, the Little Mermaid level is a rhythm game. It's a rhythm game based in a Disney musical. It does not have the music from the Disney musical. It instead has some fucking awful song. Like, oh, I can't even remember how it goes. It's just, like, it's fucking The Little Mermaid! It actually does have Little Mermaid songs. You go through several levels. I think a couple are originals, and the rest are Little Mermaid songs. Um, Plus, they they... start with the shit one, then. (laughs) I don't know why. Put your best foot forward. Also, okay, you might be able to answer this question to me. Does the rhythm game stop sucking after a point? Because they made a really bad rhythm game. No, but it's super easy, so... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Better. It, like, it's a rhythm game with 
one button. You just hit X. That you just wait a second and hit X. And you wait. That's the only rhythm game I've played worse than this is the one in Dante's Inferno, which has no music to go with it, which is a whole <laughs> different thing. <laughs> but, um, okay, that has some other questions. <laughs> Uh, I guess maybe they got their vengeance by f- for not having for for having some some original music by the uninterrupted four minute let it go uh, sequence in Kingdom Hearts three. Oh. Uh, honestly, that was not such a terrible sequence. Having just so I'm going to mention I just finished Kingdom Hearts three uh, earlier this week. <laughs> so here's what I'm going to say about it. About sixty percent of this game is really great um and 40 percent of it made me want to die inside (laughs) it's a thin line (laughs) yeah Yeah. so like i've it's it's a game that's way less than the sum of its parts um the individual disney worlds some of them like the toy box world that's that's toy story it's fucking fantastic it's one of the best video game levels i've played in years um the corona world that's tangled that's pretty good uh, the Caribbean's really technically impressive, even if ship combat is not super fun. Um, so is it less but... fucking like existentially terrifying though? Because oh man, that looks bad in Kingdom Hearts too. <laughs> it's like oh shit, we're gonna try and fucking get this like to be photorealistic on a PS2, so everyone just looks awful. It looks, I would say, aesthetically a little bit conflicted but it looks pretty good did they at least um, get any of the voice actors back this time because it's really like because like if you haven't played Kingdom they get like 90% of the voice actors back but the ones they don't like it really stands out they get most of the voice actors back obviously they can't get Johnny Depp and, and Orlando Bloom for many reasons uh, yeah for yeah. many reasons they have decent sound alikes for them uh, the, no, the most notable is that they can't get because uh, tragically Christopher Lee and Leonard Nimoy passed away. They couldn't get them back for Kingdom Hearts three. So the guy who plays Xehanort in Kingdom Hearts three sounds nothing like Leonard Nimoy and is absolutely terrible. Well, um, did he have a different voice actor in Kingdom Hearts one, Kingdom Hearts two? Anyway, this is a different Xehanort. Yeah, yeah, there's like <laughs> the fact that I have to say that sentence tells you how fucked up the series is. Um, anyway, I didn't even get into the story. And let me tell you, there are some fucking problems there. Okay. So all I'm going to say is like about Kingdom Hearts 3 and the story is that let's say you are someone who is really invested in the story and you've been invested since 2002, since Kingdom Hearts came out. I can see being livid at the ending of Kingdom Hearts 3. Me, I only have like a year of investment in this. So I was just like, oh, whatever. It's kind of a sucky ending. Um, but if you had been playing the series since 2002 and got to the ending of Kingdom Hearts 3, like, I can legitimately see, like, yeeting your controller at your screen. My, um... um... Don't worry, we get more story in the fucking rhythm game. Yeah. (laughs) You've Uh, got the end yet. My understanding had been that, uh, Kingdom Hearts' creative, uh, head, for lack of a better term, Tetsuya Nomura had basically envisioned a trilogy of trilogies... (laughs) Which is completely unrelated to all the other side games that also have incredible bearing on the plots. Yeah, I mean... So, so like, the, 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 the 
the ending uh, cliffhanger cutscene is is going to be resolved in Melody of Memory. Yeah, I know. It's oh, I meant Kingdom Hearts stupid. four in twenty years. Um, yeah, maybe I don't know. I, I'm I don't really care about the plot. I play this for the weird mashup of of Disney nonsense and JRPG nonsense, and you know. Some of the games in the series, like Dream Drop Distance, gave that to me really well. Um, some of the other games in the series, like Retain of Memories, um, were so terrible that I stopped playing halfway through. So it's it's a it's a real roller coaster of a series. Anyway, enough about Kingdom Hearts because um, it seems like we always fucking talk about it's, this series on this podcast. It's Kingdom Hearts or Sonic. There, here's your requisite Sonic comments. God, fuck both. Of, okay. Anyway. I will um, Fuck everything, man. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention is uh, I played Life is Strange 2, which started coming out in 2018, and the last episodes came out in 2019. Um, I didn't get around to it until 2020. Um, so, fittingly, the last episode of the series, for you know political statement reasons, is set on Independence Day. And just by complete coincidence, I finished the game on Independence Day. Um, oh wow! <laughs> yeah, so it was a it's a little bit of a weird experience to hear like fireworks going off outside <laughs> my apartment and playing a game where you end like spoilers. Plug your ears if you don't want spoilers. Um, you end the game like confronting FBI and ICE. Um, yeah, a little bit of a. <laughs> Wow, a little bit of a a strange contrast there. Um, So, yeah, I I would say I really enjoyed it. I don't think it's as good as the first Life is Strange, mainly for gameplay reasons. I think Life is Strange 1 had more interesting puzzle elements to it. But uh, I think story-wise, telling kind of a more more vital and interesting and, and more timely story. So, yeah, I'd recommend it. Nice. Uh... Any other games from uh, 2019 that you folks want to talk about before um, we call us to a close? Um, I guess uh, Resident Evil 2 rules. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, the Make. Yes. Uh, I, to, like, I'm interested in RE3, but I played 2 like, right, like, right before it came out, so I kind of want to like hold off on it. But I really liked it. I, I've only played the Leon story, and I had to cut the difficulty down to the lower, to the low, to the easy mode, because... I'll be honest, it was kind of a little too anxiety-invoking, but even... Yeah. Um, but it's just really good. I love the the gameplay loop. I I like the fact that... And I was thinking about this last night. Um, is that, like... So Mr. X, the main baddie for a lot of the game, is he's not really scary. He's intimidating, but he's not scary. And his gimmick that is that he will sometimes appear as the plot like demands it, but other times he will randomly appear searching for you. And it made me realize that like every time you see him, you feel like it's the worst time, even when it's not the worst time at all, because you're just packing heat and you're doing really well. Like it's a really good way at making you, at making it feel like just kind of twisting, like tightening the noose just slightly. Yeah, just just kind of like ratcheting up the tension a little bit. Yeah. Like, oh shit, I have to deal with this guy again. 
Yeah. Especially with his loud footsteps are just like clunk, clunk, clunk that just you hear all over the police station. It's very nerve-wracking. It sounds like he wears cleats, which makes me assume that in his past life, the tyrant we call Mr. X was a soccer player. I can imagine that. <laughs> I'm really, I really want a crossover now between Resident Evil and Captain Tsubasa. Yeah. I don't know how it would work, but I, I'm I'm down for for zombie soccer. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, on that lovely note of uh, anime zombie soccer, uh, I think we're going to call this to a close. Uh, thank you to Wolfman Jew, DW, Ben, and the Kappa for joining me today. And if you'd like to keep up to date with the podcast, you can follow us on our website at avocadogamescast.wordpress.com. And there we post each episode along with a link dump that fact checks some of the stuff we say on here. Um, you can also subscribe to us on iTunes. Just search for Avocado Gamescast. I think iTunes is Apple Podcast now. I don't fucking know what they're doing. I think so. Who really knows? Life's, uh, <laughs> life is confusing. Oh. Also, make sure you check out the community that spawned this podcast, The Avocado, at the-avocado.org. Oh. They, uh, yes? I have one last thing. Sure. And this is for you and DW and Kappa, but especially it's for you, Ben. You remember when I said <laughs> that there was a um, a weird, surreal, janky art style that um, Infinity reminded me of? Um, I, I actually found it. It's something called Hylix, and it looks crazy. And oh, I... fuck yeah! <laughs> Virtual Hylix is the best! Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly the game. <laughs> Hylix is a recreational program with light JRPG elements. It... Recent reviews, overwhelmingly positive. Damn. What if Earthbound was, like, French surrealist and on the moon and had permadeath and looked like, and was rotoscoped, I guess? I don't know. Sounds like some Kingdom Hearts spinoff game. Um, Wait, I was thinking a very different game. You know what I oh. mean? I have never seen this before. This looks <laughs> rad. Okay, I guess we we found uh, Ben's next hidden gem. Anyway, thank you all for, for being on the podcast today, and we'll see you next time. Of course. Take care, folks. Yeah, thanks. Bye.